What words, four words, mark your life? Okay, if you're to look at your life and you say there's four words, as you maybe look at different seasons of your life or you just look at who you are, are there four words that you could look at and, and basically say they describe your journey? So what I'd like you to do is just turn to someone next to you and give them one word, okay? Give them one word. This is, the, you know, for those of you who are very introverted right now, you're very nervous. So just be quiet because the person next to you probably will speak. Just give them one word, okay? Okay, it's just one word. You don't have to go into a whole sermon here. Okay? What I'd like you to do is raise your hands if, if your word was hangry. Oh, come on. You guys are lying. I'm the only one? No. Um, if you were to just kind of say your word was sweltering. Well, not now, right? But in a few moments. How about um, your word was joyful? Raise your hand. I'm, I'm serious. Anyway, raise your hand. Um, maybe pregnant. No, okay, just kidding. <laughs> Surprise! Um, this is fun. Let's do this. No. This king, his name was Solomon, and he was considered to be one of the brightest and wealthiest guys to ever live. He collected a group of wise sayings, and he himself actually has within that book many of his own wise sayings. And it was around the year 1000 BC when he collected this together in a book called Proverbs. In chapter 22, verse 1, which we mentioned last week, which is kind of the theme that goes underneath all this, is a good name is more desirable than great riches. To be esteemed is better than silver or gold. Simply, your good name and reputation is better than striking it rich. A good name, in a sense, is like a wad of cash in your pocket. It opens doors. It gives credibility. It sells products. Anybody heard of Air Jordan? Not only that, it has a whole bunch of perks associated with a good name. So Solomon makes this point. He says, if you must choose, if, you, if you're going to choose when it comes to names, take a good name rather than great riches for to be held in loving esteem is a lot better than gold and silver or whatever you might invest in in the stock market. Now we're going to look at today a guy named Abram. We're going to go through this whole series and we're going to be looking at some different names and names that God changes often or names that are given within Scripture. <clears throat> and Abram, who later gets renamed Abraham, and we'll talk about that, had a good name. And here's how good it was. Abram is considered to be one of the most influential people in history. The world's three largest monotheistic religions all find their beginnings in him. Over three billion people consider Abraham to be the father of their faith. Jews, Muslims, and Christians. The name appears again and again in great literary works. Numerous artists have been inspired by Abraham's life, including people like Donatello, Raphael, Rembrandt, Rubens, Chagall, Meyer. <laughs> Throughout the Bible, not only is Abraham known for his faith, and you guys, what are you laughing about? Man, you haven't seen my work. Anyway, but he's often referred to. There's, 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 there's a, 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 a name that's given to him at times throughout Scripture. It's called Friend of God. What a great thing to be called friend of God. 
He's also really quite famous with children. Think about it for a second. I think you are aware of this. Some of you have actually sung this. Father Abraham, come on, sing it, had many sons, and many sons had Father Abraham. You're pretty good at this. I am one of them, and so are you. So let's all praise the Lord. Oh, you guys are great. Okay, well, so you see, see, it's not that hard. Abraham was an incredibly influential guy. Four words mark Abraham's life, and I believe created a good name. Abram, Abram means exalted father, so his original name was just Abram. But unknown to him, God was going to exalt his name far beyond what he could have ever imagined. And I think these four words were key to how he moved into this place of this naming and living into the promise of God. And I believe these four words that we find in Abraham's life are four words that could also mark your life and in many ways should mark the life of one who is a friend of God and follows God. And so, dads, I really want you to pay attention because later as we sing a good, good father, I think that's the desire that he has for each of us. These four words are simple. They are go, believe, wait, and persevere. I was going to add the fifth one, hangry, but it's just remotely touched on in the Bible, and I thought there wasn't enough, but we'll stick with those four words. The first word being go. If you look at Genesis 12, and we're going to look at Genesis 12, the first few verses, Genesis 15, the first few verses, Genesis 16, the first few verses, and Genesis 17, because through Genesis 12 and a little bit further than that is the story of Abraham, but within those chapters are the, the, the words. They, they come out in their fullness. We often think that we initiate our relationship with God. How many here kind of think, yeah, I was the one, I searched after God, I remember seeking after God, but we're told again and again, and we're told that in this scripture as well, here is Abraham, and Abraham is called by God. God initiates, and whether it is through circumstances of our life, which I think may have been in his case, because I think being without a child... And with his wife in that situation, I think through the circumstances, it could be through a message, it could be through a song, it could be through a reading, it could be a friend, it could be through nature, walking out. But whatever it might be, God is really the first one taking the step. He is coming to us in those situations. That's what the Word of God tells us. And he might actually, in this message, in this day, or maybe the last few weeks, been working in your life in such a way that he's been initiating things you're not even aware of it because he wants To know you. He calls us to participate with him. He comes to Abraham and he comes to us and he says, let me author the story of your life. I promise you as the author, as you co-author with me and participate, I will present a story you could imagine. John, the closest follower of the 12 disciples, admits that even he, the one who is laying on the shoulder of Christ at that last meal, the one who's called the one Jesus loved, even he admits that he was not the first one to step towards God. God, through Jesus, called John. And he writes very simply in his letter, 1 John chapter 4, verse 19, these few words, we love Here's John saying, we love because he first loved us. God initiates and he may be reaching out to you right now. So if you look at Genesis chapter 12, 1 through 4, it's the book of beginnings and it begins like this. 
The Lord had said to Abraham, leave your country, your people, and your father's family and go to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you and make you famous and you will be a blessing to others. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who treat you with contempt. And all the families on the earth will be blessed through you. That's why we sing, Father Abraham. So Abraham left as the Lord had instructed and Lot went with him. And Abraham, catch this, was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. At age 75. Now, how many of you are younger than 75? Raise your hand. You could still be called by God. God gives a command to leave Haran. Verse 1, it says, The Lord had said to Abram, which is an interesting conjunction of the Hebrew. It's the idea that he had spoken once before to him. We don't know exactly when, at what age. But we do know that this was probably the second time that he came to him and called him and and he came with these words, go. If you read back just a few verses in, in chapter 11, verses 27 to 32, you'll find that Abram was first called from a city called Ur. It's a city in ancient Mesopotamia, which is Iraq today. And in that city, it was the lead city. It would have been like the New York or Los Angeles of the day. It was the cultural center of that land at that time. And he called them from that. And his father, Terah, and some other family members were told joined him on this trek of faith. This wild notion that God could somehow author a story through Abraham better than Abraham could author himself. And so they leave the big city of Ur and they stop in Haran. And it may have been that his father was ill. It could have been that his father and family just didn't want to go any further. This is far enough. So 11, 30, and 31 says, Together they set out from Ur to go to Canaan. And then the next word is very instructive. When you see this word in Scripture, even in life, you know, like when you're in a conversation, but, or you're, you know, with your spouse, but. So set out from Ur to go to Canaan, but when they came to Haran, they settled there. They stopped halfway on their journey to Canaan. Haran was on the edge of Babylon, so you have to get this picture. It would be like if you were leaving Minnesota and you decided to stop in Homestead, Florida. You know what? Homestead, wait, down at the end. Or maybe a better way to look at it is you left Minnesota and you went to Nome, Alaska. And you just stopped there. And it's way on the outskirts, and yet there's still a lot of cultural similarities from where you left. And so they settled there. Haran actually sat at the crossroads of two major ancient highways. And the word in Hebrew, Haran, means parched. So it was a parched, dry desert area. And there God comes to him and says, go. He had left Ur, and yet he hadn't left the culture and the ways. He was living at the crossroads, so to speak. Probably one of the worst places to be. Because you're not all in, but you're somewhere in between. One foot in and one foot out. You're kind of on the fence. You ever find yourself in your faith that way even? You, you, you kind of want, you come and you show up, but you're not living that way in your life. It's, it's really one of the worst places to be. You're kind of at your work, maybe into your work world, you're given to, but you're not really all in. You know what that is like? 
dads. You can be with your family and kind of just have a foot in, but not really all in. And he comes to him and he says, go. A quick aside to husbands and, and to dads at this point. And as I was going through this, I felt just convicted. I need to say something about this. The book of beginnings is also a book about leaving. Whenever God says go, he also says you need to leave. And so in Genesis chapter 2, verse 24, it's the first marriage, the beginnings again of a marriage. And it states in Genesis chapter 2, verse 24, For this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and they will become one flesh. You're going to a new one flesh experience. And I have to confess, I wish I could have a do-over in that area in my life. I mean, I left my family physically, but far too often I didn't stand behind my wife in certain situations. You see, you can leave your family physically, even geographically, but, but husbands and dads, you may not leave emotionally, financially, and in other ways, but you're called to go and form this relationship, heart, soul, and mind, every way. And I just want to say that real clearly. And it may raise some issues, and as it does raise some issues, and some of you, I encourage you to go and find counseling or get into a small group with some other people and start talking about your life. Get real and move towards oneness. At 75 years of age, God comes again, Abram, exalted father, which is what it means, and he says, Go. Join me in authoring the story of your life. Leave your country, your people, your family. You're going to have to leave. And if you look at verse 2 and 3, you'll find that the next two verses are a command. And and whenever God gives a command, he follows it with a promise. He doesn't just command us to do something without telling us that you will be blessed in it. So God comes to him and here's what he says to all of us. Follow me and I'll bless you. Now, he's speaking to Abraham, but I want you to know that throughout Scripture, and Jesus says it in the same way, you leave family, and you'll, you'll leave things, and, and, and yet, if you follow me, I will bless you. If you are willing to put me first in your life, let me begin to author your story, and you co-author it with me and participate, I will promise to bless you. I'll bless your family, I'll bless your marriage, I'll bless your work, I'll bless you. Now, it may not be in the way the blessings that you and your mind may think of, but he promises to bring a kind of relational oneness and and joy and a presence of his spirit into your life. There's a general blessing, which he says, follow me and trust me, and I will bless you so that you will bless others. That's the whole purpose of being blessed. The whole purpose of being blessed is not just to go, wow, this is really great. I get to enjoy all this. It's in order that when you are blessed, you turn around and go, how can I bless someone else? But there's also, if you look at this, a specific blessing. It's unique to Abraham. He comes to him and he says, leave and I'll give you a land. And not only that, I'll give you a great nation. And I will also have you develop a great name, which implies a son and a family and a lineage so that you will be the father of many. God calls us both in a general way, go and be a blessing to others. But he calls each one of us specifically, uniquely. He says, I have put you together in such a way that, that as I author your life, I'm going to author your life in such a unique way that you can bless others. In the only way that you can bless them, in the only place that you can bless them. Because only you can do that. I um, read a, a magazine called Christianity Today, which is one of the main periodicals for um, Christianity. In, in And there's... 
on the back, for the last few years, they've, they've started this thing on the back page that turns them into the magazine. They share stories of how people are called by God and begin to follow him in their life. And so I picked it up, and I was reading it just a few weeks back. And I read the story of a woman who was a professor, and she taught at a university in, in, in California, and she shares about the fact that she taught in humanities, and she was very much into kind of a new age and, and, and very much um, opposed to a lot of things around Christianity. But because she had some of that new age and she was open to the spirit realm in that world, she shares that she had a dream at one point. And in the dream, she had some kind of encounter with Jesus that made her nervous and she wasn't sure, she was confused. And so she went to a friend who she was surprised by that friend's answer because the friend listened and then said to her, you should probably read the Bible. But she started to read the Bible. She began to read the Bible. She hadn't really done it before in a, in a way that she began to look at it about her own life. And she was convicted and she came to a place where she said, Jesus, I want you to author my life. I want to follow you. I want to be a blessing to bless others. And so that was about in the early 90s. She came to faith. And soon after she came to faith, she was trying to find a way in which she could bless others. And she heard and read about Mother Teresa in Calcutta. So she went to Calcutta and she started to do some work there and, and got to know just a little bit. Mother Teresa didn't know her well, nor did Mother Teresa know her story well. But one day she was sitting outside, sitting against the wall, contemplating about her and what her life should be and, and what does it really mean for Jesus to author and to do this whole thing. And, and Mother Teresa walks by. And Mother Teresa looks at her and says, Sister, this is kind of out of the blue. Not all are called to live and serve the poor here. Pray and ask Jesus, what's your Calcutta? And go and be a blessing there. I thought, wow, that's profound advice. God comes to all of us in a general way and says, I've given you life, I've blessed you, and you'll find blessing from others, but I want you to bless others as well. But I think he comes to each one of us uniquely and he speaks to us, he calls our name, he speaks to us, and he says, Kevin, Pete, Sue, Jane, Brady, whatever the name is. And he says, I want you to bless in this way. What I find is interesting is she went back and actually continued to teach and found now that the platform for her to share blessing was in the classroom and the way that she was able to present her life and love and, 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 and share people with people about Jesus. I know of a person, a very a relative of mine, who's been blessed in business, and the whole story is incredible. At one point came to that place and said, God, I, I'm doing this business, what are you doing? And then God arranged circumstance, blessed him in a huge way, and that blessing hasn't stopped, and he has been able to use the business he had to give all kinds of funds to help all kinds of people. I don't know what your unique blessing is. Rich Sherber, you know of Adult Teen Challenge, the, the leader of Adult Teen Challenge, that, that it's a, a residential recovery um, program for men and women who are chemically, uh, a chemical substance addiction and things such as that. He often will share a story about an elderly woman who wanted to help, and she wanted to do something, and she didn't feel quite capable to do some of the volunteer positions they had, but she wanted to help, she wanted to do something, and she knew something she could do, she could bake. She said, she said, I can bake cookies. So that's what she did. And she showed up with cookies and she baked 60 dozen cookies a week for those who were there. That's 720 cookies each week, guys. And it blessed them. You could say it hit a spot for those who were there. And for 20 years, her unique blessing was to bake cookies 
close to 750,000 cookies. And I thought about it. Her blessing produced many sons and daughters. Her name became famous, as Rich Sherber has told people about this. And someday when people come to her in heaven, there's going to be a whole bunch of her come there and go, you don't know what your cookie meant to me. Go, follow me and I will bless you to bless others. The next word is believe. Genesis 15, verses 1 through 6. You might think that this should come early on. You'd think believe would be the one of the early words, but it's not till it's later in his life. Now he's down years into his life, and Abraham is commended for believing. Genesis 15, 1 through 6. After this, the word of the Lord came to Abraham in a vision. Do not, do not be afraid, Abraham. I'm your shield and your very great reward. Now, you have to understand that in a moment, he's going to tell him to look up at the stars in the sky. So it has to be at night. See, Abraham has leapt. Abraham followed. Abraham's in the land now. Abraham's obeyed the command. But at this point, he has just a few acres of land and no sun, no air. And he's in conversation at this point with God. He says, but Abraham said, Sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless and the one who will inherit my estate? I guess it must be Eleazar of Damascus. And he's thinking about preparing his will. He must be wrestling with these thoughts. You can almost hear his thoughts. Where's the land, the nation, the notoriety of you? You promised me, God. And if his mind is anything like mine and, and possibly like yours, you know how when you're in bed at night, maybe you wake up 2, 3 in the morning, your mind is just stirring and winding and going around and around in circles, and I think that may have been going on. He's going, was it really you, God, who called me? Really, God, did, did I really hear you say go, and I left all that to be here? Was it really worth leaving everything behind And every single one of us, I think, I think every person here knows what it's like to feel unnoticed, unrewarded, underappreciated, alone, isolated, stupid, pitied, left out, unremarkable, or forgotten. I bet you everybody has at some point in the middle of the night woke up just wrestling with things like that in your heart. But God doesn't leave us there. He allows sometimes for us to be in these kind of wilderness situations, just like he was in, where you're kind of just going, God, what, what's going on? And in the place of struggle, the word of the Lord comes to him in a vision. So here he's struggling, and God comes to him first, says, don't be afraid. He next promises him, he says, I'll be your shield. And, and I like what he ends telling him, I'm your great reward. It's not the land, it's not the lineage, it's not the name, but me, I who I am and, and all that I am. That's your reward. I, I can tell you folks in my own life there's been time, and I think you probably can, 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 can relate to this. Some of you, where you've come to a place where you go, God, I thought you said this, and, and you're, you're at this point, and you're at this kind of place where you, you, you've invested all, you've left some stuff behind, and you're there, and, and then you go, but God, even if what I thought you promised isn't what it is, I'm still going to trust you. I'm still going to follow you. And so Abraham, um, God's friends, in conversation with him, and he's saying, you've given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. And then the word of the Lord came to him, the man will not be your heir, but a son who is your own flesh and blood will be your heir. He took him outside and said, look up at the sky and count the stars, and if indeed you can count them, then he said to them, so shall your offspring be. I didn't say it would be a servant of God. I told you it would be a son from God. 
And I mean to keep that. And he said, what I want you to do right now, Abram, in the midst of this, this is what I want you to do. I want you to look up at the stars and count the stars. And then I think under his breath goes, if you can. Because so will all be your descendants. And this word comes, that has been the word that in the New Testament, it's the foundation of the Reformation. It's what Paul writes about so often. It's the word that comes and he says, and then at this point, Abram believed the Lord and he credited that to him as righteousness. It wasn't all that he was doing. It wasn't even the reason he left. It wasn't anything about himself. It was merely the fact that he believed this God is God and this God would bless him. And if he followed this God, he would know the blessing of God in his life. And it's at that point he looks up and God in his heart says, here's why you are found acceptance in me. It's only because you believe I'm good and I'm gracious and I'm kind. And every time you walk through this earth, every night when you begin to stir in your thoughts and you go outside your tent and you look up at the stars, I want you to know those those stars are, are a sign that I'm, I'm with you and I love you. And to every person in this room, every person in this room who's willing to believe that Jesus came and he loved you and he gave his life for you and he died for you, this Jesus, he says, just look at the cross, just go back. You can go ahead and do the historical work. You can go and verify whether it really happened. But this God came in Jesus and any time you begin to doubt, all you need to do is look at that cross. Because all you got to do is look at Jesus and he says, I love you. I love you. And you are righteous in my eyes. Not because you come to church and because you give money or you, you serve in this way. You are righteous in my eyes because you believe. You believe me. If God is for us, who can be against us, says Paul? To a church under great persecution, wondering about this going, leaving, and believing stuff. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all thanks? Go, believe, and the next word is wait. Don't you love that word? Genesis 16. I heard someone say not long ago these words, good things happen to those who wait. And... I was thinking about this, and the opposite of those words are equally true. Bad things happen to those who rush, force, and act impatiently. If only Abraham had taken the advice and given this advice to his wife, Sarai. Look at Genesis 16, 1 through 5. Now, Sarai, Abraham's wife, had borne him no children. So she's in a quandary as well. She's kind of going, we, we have no kids. But she had an Egyptian slave named Hagar. Now, you have to understand, if you've been to Africa, I went one time to the Maasai tribe, they have usually a, a wife. And in that culture in that day, in order to take care of women who didn't have husbands, they would join into a family. And they would have handmaids. And, and often they might have children by that man. Well, in this case, that's what you have. And what's really interesting here is that somehow she had handmaidens, which we call slaves here in scripture, but there's still a sense of, it's kind of interesting, kind of a monogamous relationship here because Sarah is, listen to this, she had borne him no children, but she had an Egyptian slave named Hagar and she said to Abram, the Lord has kept me from having children. It's not anything about me. Go sleep with my slave. Perhaps I can build a family through her. Abram agreed to what Sarah said. So Abram, after been living in Canaan 10 years, 
Sarah, his wife, took his Egyptian slave, Hagar, gave her to the husband to be his wife. He slept with Hagar, and she conceived. Now, this blows me away. When she knew she was pregnant, this is when Sarah knew she was pregnant, she began to despise her mistress. And Sarah said to Abraham, you're responsible for the wrong I'm suffering. I put my slave in your arms, and now she knows she's pregnant, and she despises me, the Lord judge between you and me, which is kind of an interesting thing. And I just got to tell you, you're kind of going, wait a second, Sarah. But at the same time, we're going to talk about Sarah next week. She's also been following this guy with a dream all her life. And I think she's wondering, is she with Mana La Mancha, and is he fighting these, you know, windmills? Ten years go by. Day after day, Abraham's looking at the stars. Day after day, they're getting older. 80, 81, 82, 83, 84, 85. No child. So the Genesis 16, 15 through 16 kind of ends that, that, that section of that chapter and says, So Hagar bore Abram a son, and Abram gave him the name Ishmael to the son she had born. And Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore him Ishmael. I hardly have to mention the many bad things that resulted from rushing and forcing and not waiting. Ishmael and Isaac, you ever heard of that? Arab and Israel. Contention. Some choices you just wish you could take back. Going, believing, and waiting is tough to do. And if you're there, if you're there, I know it's tough. But wait. Don't force God's hand. One of the best things to do when you follow God and you don't see signs of his presence, when the promise looks like your own grandiose, wishful thinking, one of the best things you can do is repeat three words. Three words that I heard someone say once. It's the words, God's at work. I'm not going to do the work that only God can do. God's at work. Anybody remember the four words that we used about grateful and joyful life? Anybody remember that? We, you know, we, we sometimes look at our life, and in order to stay um, in a joyful, grateful place, you, you just need to say four words, it could be worse. Okay, let's stand up. We're going to do this little exercise because this is a really helpful thing to do. So let's try this morning. You look like you're sleeping, and I just got a few minutes more. I want us to do this. So I want real audience participation in this, okay? Let's say it together. It could be worse. It could be worse. Very good. I was going to have you do it again loudly, but I don't know if you could do it a lot more loudly than that. Now, as you walk out of here, here's a really important thing. You can say these words at these different occasions when you look at life sometimes and you're just going, boy, you're not thankful, you're not grateful, you're not joyful. As you walk out of here, put your car, your key in your car, and you look at the car next to you, and you are tempted to think, if only I had that car. But practicing a thankful spirit, you will look at your car and say these four little words. What? It could be worse. Good. And when you get home and you pull into your driveway and you look at your house, you may be tempted to think, if I had a bigger, nicer, newer house, but you look at your house and repeat again these four little words, it could be worse. Right. Very good. And in the morning when you take a shower and you step out and you look into the mirror and you be tempted to think, right? You're tempted to think, if only I had a different body, if I were younger, slimmer, trimmer, and more muscular, then I'd be happy. But no, next time you will say with great gusto these four little words, it could be worse. And when you go to bed at night and then you wake up in the morning and you roll over and you look at your spouse. Okay, just kidding. Bad idea. Don't do that. There are three words. Those four words, we've done that before, and I really believe it's important. Just remember at times in your life it helps you be grateful. Three words when you're waiting. Three words when you're waiting. 
God's at work. Say it with me. God's at work. Let God do the work that only he can do. He's writing the story he'll also provide. Don't rush it. Don't force. It doesn't mean you don't do and you don't participate with him. You, you do all those things, but there are some things only God can do. And, and Abraham and Sarah found that out. They found out it can be worse. Okay, you can be seated. Let me just finish this up here. The final mark is persevere. So go, believe, wait, keep going and going and believing and believing and waiting and waiting is a definition for perseverance. It's doing it all in the same direction. You're going and going, believing, believing, and waiting and waiting all in the same direction. Genesis 17 is the last part of the story. If you look at the end of chapter 16 before he begins chapter 17, it says that he's 86 years of age, and then in chapter 17 begins he's 99. Someone do the math on that. How many years? 13 years. It seems like God is saying nothing. 86, 87, 88, he's looking at SARS. 89, 90. And in those 13 years, God was bringing Abraham and Sarah to the very end of themselves, to the end of their abilities. God allowed them to discover that nothing they did or tried could fulfill this from it. It was humanly impossible. And I just want to say for you, if you're in a place where you've been kind of relating to God and you're trying to think somehow, like, if I do it good enough and if I just believe hard enough and I do all these different things, that somehow if I just do it and you're just tired of measuring up, it's just, I just want you to know, it's not your job to save yourself. It's God's. You just believe. You just trust. You just say, okay, God, I'm going to let you come into my life and start to work in my life in a way that I've never allowed you before. I'm going to let you come in, and you're the only one who can forgive my sins. I can't do it. Sometimes God brings us to the end of ourselves and our abilities so that we will finally rest only in him and his abilities, knowing only God can do this. And what I love about Abraham is even though he had blown it, tried to force it, couldn't wait, took matters in his own hand, complicated his life through his own choice. Has anybody been there? Abraham gets back up on the horse and hopes in God. Abraham perseveres. Where you have blown it in, in what ways you look at and you say, I've failed to God. And where you have messed up your life through your own choices, even though you give up on God, guess what? He doesn't give up on you. And here's the thing that helped him persevere. Here's the thing you need to hear. Abraham doesn't give up. He perseveres because he has learned to put his trust in a God who never gives up on him. God has not given up on you. So when Abram was 99 years old, Genesis 17, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am God Almighty. Isn't it neat? He reveals a name that's never been revealed before. It's the God who is sufficient for all your needs. The word El Shaddai, the word Shad is the word breast. It's the imagery of God like a, a, a woman who is nursing and saying, "Just you just need to be here. I am sufficient. Calm down. Walk before me faithfully and be blameless, and then I will make my covenant between you and we will greatly increase your numbers. And Abraham fell face down, and God said to him, Answer me, and this is my covenant with you. You will be the father of many nations. No longer will you be called Abram. Isn't it interesting? At 99 years of age, we all don't realize this. 
God does not call him Abraham until he's 99. You got to ask yourself why. He says, no longer will you be called Abraham. Your name will be Abraham, for I have made you a father of many nations. Catch this. You just underline this in your own Bible someday. For I have made you, and I will make you very fruitful, and I will make nations of you. Kings will come from you. I will establish my covenant. At 99 years of age, he says, it's time to change your name. And, and here's the reason. Here's something we're going to get into. There are times, and I, I think a lot of times names change when people in, in, in Scripture, you'll find again and again when they're older, and there's a reason for it. It's not because they're older. It's because here's what's happening. It's done by God to establish a new identity that God has empowered them to embody. I'm going to say that again. It is done to establish a new identity that God has empowered them to embody. And you're going to find that in Peter, and, and you'll find it in Saul and Paul. You'll find it again and again. Abram is the father of many nations. He is not hoping to be so any longer. He is not waiting any longer. At that point, at 99, Sarah gets impregnated, and he is now the father in reality of many nations. He embodies the identity, and God says, now this is who you are. The moment you believe, he says, you are a saint. You're no longer a sinner in his eyes. You are a saint. He's established what you now embody in your identity. So don't let go. Persevere. Let God bless you to bless others as uniquely as he's made you. So let's stand together. These four words, go, believe, wait, persevere. May they make a good name in you. Follow me and I will bless you. And let us say these verses together. The worship team will come. Say these with me because these are some of my favorite verses in all the Bible. I have lived by them. I have eaten them in times when I have been so hungry and so fearful. Against all hope. Read it with me. Abraham in hope believed. And so became the father of many nations. Just as it has been said to him, so shall your offspring be. Without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead. And since he was about a hundred years old, and that Sarah's womb was also dead, yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had the power to do what he had promised. Now, here's the thing. Abraham believed. What we don't realize is we think that's really easy for people. It comes real naturally. It isn't. It's, it, it is an intentional choice. Your part in the story is really simple. Whether you are here today and you feel separated by your sin, your part is simple. It's just to believe that God has made you a saint. If you're in a place where you're wondering, you're saying, God, you've promised, I thought you were going to move this way. Your part is merely this. It's believe. But it's a choice. So I'm going to ask us to pray. Father, you know each and every heart here. And as I said, some people have, you've been working on their heart to the circumstances of life. You've brought people in their life. You've brought your word into their life. You have seen, maybe as they look at nature, and you've been initiating and moving into their life. And you want to write your story in their life. So right now, if you're saying to God, God, I want you to pen the story of my life. I will walk with you. I will co-author it with you. If that's your heart, intentionally choose and believe and say, God, I'll do this. And just open your heart, Tim. I believe that he has a blessing waiting for you. He will reveal himself and confirm what's been done in your heart. And one of the greatest things you can do is tell someone else about what God has done in this moment with a friend or someone you trust. 
In Jesus' name, amen.